Welcome to Good Patron, a production of UTR Media. I am your host, Garrett Gottfried, and on this show, we will explore what it means to be a good patron, asking how each of us can be a good patron for the bands and musicians we appreciate. You can find this podcast wherever you choose to get your podcasts, and you should subscribe to this show. It's totally free. It means you don't miss a single episode. I'm glad you're here, so stick around. We have got some exploring to do. I am really excited about this month's episode, and you already know from the episode title some of the folks we'll be talking about, but here is the whole rundown of everyone we'll cover this episode. Rose Blossom Punch, Jesse McNeil, Cindy Morgan, The Throws, Charlie Peacock, Starfire 59, Jamie Rowe, Lauren Combs, Ben Oliver, Scott Thomas, The Blamed, Grave Robber, and Death Therapy. And if you've listened before, you also know that I'll cover one way you can be a good patron, and I'll issue you a challenge. But I've got a lot of interviews in this episode all around the theme of my challenge, too, so it is a jam-packed, full episode. But first, I'd like to tell you about our Spotlight campaign. Rose Blossom Punch were a post-grunge alternative rock band from Seattle back in the mid-90s featuring Aaron Sprinkle from Poor Old Blue. They put out a couple projects, but then they disappeared. Well, as it turns out, 20 years ago they had recorded a six-song EP titled Sorry to Disappoint You, but it was never released. In fact, not only did it never see a proper release, they never even nailed down final mixes of the songs. Now... They've dug up those songs, and they are getting this EP mixed, mastered, and pressed on vinyl. And they hope to have it all done by August 2019. And here is a clip of the first track, Ensign. It's getting colder, I'm getting pale. You're asking questions I wouldn't tell The floor is creaking beneath my feet You're so enlightened, it's killing me, $7 gets to the digital version of the EP, $15 gets to the vinyl version, and there are other options for shirts, autographs, posters, and more. So head over to Indiegogo and search for Rose Blossom Punch. But do it fast, this campaign closes March 21st. And I want to thank Ben, Matthew, and Mark in the Crowdfunding Christian Music Group on Facebook for making sure we all knew about this campaign. Uh-huh. 
Okay, we have got a lot of guests for this episode's Good Patron Challenge discussion. The focus of this episode is music festivals, and we are going to hear from John J. Thompson from True Tunes, who'd run the Cornerstone Gallery stage for years, Dave Hawkins from the Antidote Radio podcast, Professor Allen and M from the podcast From Dorkness to Light, Gabe Jones from the Decent Christian Talk podcast, and a couple of festival founders, Aaron Delo, the founder of Joshua Fest, and Dave Trout, the founder of Escape to the Lake. I asked all these folks the same question, and it amazed me to hear how similar and different their answers were. The question was basically, when it comes to festivals, what's in it for the fans? What do they have to look forward to? What is the appeal of festivals? And two big themes kept coming back over and over. The first is the idea of discovery. So here is Professor Allen from the podcast From Darkness to Light. Go to a fest wanting to discover new music, a new band, um, you know, wanting to become a fan of an artist you weren't familiar with. And here is Aaron Delo, founder of Joshua Fest. You know, as, as a festival goer, you're going to be introduced to a lot of new music that you wouldn't normally be exposed to. And this is Gabe Jones from the Decent Christian Talk podcast. But, but as a music fan, it's an opportunity to see so many artists in such a little time. And I, I think that's probably the biggest attraction. And here is Dave Hawkins from the Antidote Radio podcast, specifically talking about audio feed. Well, as a fan, whatever type of music you're into, they play it. It goes right from singer-songwriter to death metal, and there's everything in between. And this is Dave Trout, host of the Gourmet Music Podcast and founder of Escape to the Lake. I would say um, music discovery is sort of a big thing um, because, you know, any festival that that you go to, there's probably going to be a few names um, that you've heard of, um, maybe even are fans of. Um, but if you kind of go with an open ear and open mind, you may walk away a much bigger fan of an artist you had never heard of before. Um, so I, I think that you could discover just great music. And here is John J. Thompson from True Tunes. I still enjoy going to festivals, whether they're, you know, Christian festivals or mainstream festivals. A lot of times it's a great way to discover a lot of new stuff for a relatively low amount of money. And in a relatively short amount of time, you can kind of cast a net and discover things. So that's that's kind of on the practical side. So that if you love music and you're not just wanting to hear the same stuff that you already like, but you still have that discovery itch then there's nothing like a festival to help you discover new music. The other common thread I heard through all these discussions was that of relationship and community. This is Dave Trout. And the cool thing is, you know, those events bring together people who are also people that realize that music has a special place in their lives. It's the soundtrack of their teen lives, their adult lives, um, their marriages, and and also their spiritual walks. Um, music just helps us in uh, even process our relationship with God. And so you're surrounded by these people. And so if you open yourself up to engage in conversation and just 
you know, I'm, I'm an introvert naturally. So I, I tend to shy away from, you know, just, uh, putting myself out there like that, but, but I've always been rewarded when I do that. And, and other people are excited to engage with something that they love, which is, Hey, we're all here to enjoy music and, and, um, to celebrate how it, how it moves us and how it stirs us and how it draws us many times draws us closer to God. Here is Dave Hawkins. Seeing the type of community of people that gather together at a music festival is really, it's extraordinary. And here is Gabe Jones. Well, it's funny because when you've been going to a festival that long, you kind of establish relationships and a camaraderie of sorts with a lot of people that you've gotten to meet over the years at the festival. And so it's kind of like a family reunion of sorts um, with a lot of people. And then I really liked the extra insight from Professor Allen and M from the podcast From Darkness to Light. This is what M had to say. There's something about live music that is just more intimate. And especially with these Christian bands that fall outside of the sort of CCM labels, these these strange indie projects that it's such a small you know garrett the type of music that you exactly the kind i like exactly. yeah the kind of music that you like and that we like that and need that, patrons that yeah. need patrons and patreons and it's just such a small niche so you really get the chance to meet and mm-hmm. interact mm-hmm. with the bands as people which is uh we are not particularly social people we are very very introverted but most of the performers also are extremely introverted. So <laughs> Your it's just, average singer-songwriter up there hiding behind their guitar. Yeah. So, uh, so it's just like a really good energy to actually get to meet these people. Mm-hmm. And this is what Professor Allen added about AudioFeed specifically. One of AudioFeed's strengths is that they're open to a wider range of, of Christian thought. Uh, you will hear things from bands or speakers that will challenge you. In your, pers- you know, your perspective on faith, you'll hear things that are way more conservative than you might be or way more progressive or Pentecostal or Arminian or Calvinist or liturgical or whatever. It's, it's really open to a, a wider swath of, of people of faith than what I found at more mainstream fests in, 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 in terms of that one in particular. And after all of this, John J. Thompson had said a couple things that I think really summarize all of this nicely. This is what he had to say. The, the thing about festivals is that they are what you allow them to be. There's nothing magical about the thing itself. I think that from a fan perspective, there's that practical thing about discover a bunch of music fast and take a lot of notes, buy a lot of stuff, get some cool swag, you know, that. And then there's this spiritual side of, connect with human beings and make some relationships. And if you're the kind of person who does that easily, then it's kind of like an all you can eat buffet. But if you're the kind of person who doesn't do it easily, it's a good challenge because you're kind of going to a party where most of the people are in the mood to be cool and hang out. So it's like, if you're awkward around people, you find it difficult to make friends, then most festivals are the easiest place in the world to practice being a human being. <laughs> you know, it's like you can you can kind of go up to anybody and just have a conversation. So my challenge to you is a bit of a stretch goal, but I really hope you consider it, and it's to find a way 
to get yourself to a music festival this year, if at all possible. And if you're like me and want to hear the rest of all these great conversations, stick around. I have all of them for you at the end of the episode, after part two. And don't just skip ahead. Part two has some very practical opportunities you have to help some specific artists, and it's coming up right after this quick break. This UTR podcast is sponsored by the latest release from 13-time Dove Award winner, Cindy Morgan. Why is it so Eve by Cindy Morgan is about a merging of Old Testament struggles and modern heartache. East of and west of Autumn and Eve releases on all music platforms on March 8th, but now through March 7th, you can pre-order the physical CD and digital download and get three bonus tracks that won't be available on Spotify or any other site. Check out the Autumn and Eve pre-order now at cindymorganmusic.com. Hey, do you need more gourmet music than what this podcast has to offer? <laughs> we invite you to check out two playlists that UTR hand curates and regularly updates. The Heart, Soul, and Mind playlist features over four and a half hours of well-crafted, faith-inspired music. Plus, our special menu playlist features perfectly timed and specially themed songs. You can find both playlists by opening up your Spotify app and searching UTR Media and clicking follow. And even if you're not a Spotify user, you can still listen to these playlists on our website. And you can read the curator's notes at utrmedia.org. This UTR podcast is sponsored by the latest release from Rick Lee James. Help us love our Thunder by Rick Lee James was recorded at Old Bear Studios and features songs offering spiritual encouragement and heartfelt praise. It sounded like thunder. Thunder by Rick Lee James, available on all digital music platforms, including Spotify and iTunes, or on physical CD and vinyl at rickleejames.com. Welcome back to the second half of the episode. I am really excited about these campaigns that are active right now, but I get you're probably driving or working in the yard or doing dishes or laundry or working out. It's not exactly easy to stop and check out these campaigns right away. The good news is the show notes will have the links for all of these so you can follow up at a better time. Just don't wait too long. Now, on this show, I'll cover all the campaigns that are active that I think merit your attention. But if something comes out between episodes, you still might miss it. So if you follow the show on Twitter, at GoodPatron, you can see what campaigns we're tweeting about between episodes. Now, first up is a Kickstarter campaign for Jesse McNeil for a full-length album, and I want to thank Larry for posting this in the Facebook group. It's been four years since Jesse's last album, Promised Land, and she's ready to put out this new batch of songs. Here are a couple clips from her last album to give you an idea of her acoustic country sound. I swept up all the broken glass 
By the way, those songs, Promised Land and More Than I Need, are available in the noise trade sampler she put out. So be sure to check out the show notes to get the link. And for this campaign, $10 gets you an early download of the new album. $25 gets the CD and that download. $30 gets you this CD, this album's early download, and both of her last albums as downloads. And then she's got more options available. So head over to Kickstarter and search for Jesse. that's J-E-S-S-I, McNeil, that's M-C-N-E-A-L, but do it fast. This campaign closes Thursday, March 21st. And speaking of acting fast, Cindy Morgan is releasing an EP titled Autumn and Eve, Old Testaments, Volume 1. And it comes out Friday, March 8th. But if you pre-order it directly from her at cindymorganmusic.com, you can get a signed and numbered CD, bonus tracks that won't be on Spotify or other platforms, and an instant download of that EP and the bonus tracks. I ordered it as soon as I saw her post, and let me tell you, this is a great project. Here's a clip of the song Wait from the EP. gets you the digital version of the project, but $12 gets you that signed and numbered CD and instant download with bonus tracks. And that's $12 including the postage. So you really need to pre-order this now. And while we're talking about amazing albums that you have to hear, there was a band in the DC area back in the 90s that put out a really great album. The band is The Throws, that's T-H-R-O-E-S, and the album was All the Flowers Growing in Your Mother's Eyes, with a sound reminiscent of The Smiths and R.E.M. The album is both fun and poppy and moody, and now they've launched a Kickstarter campaign to reissue it on five different color variations of 180-gram vinyl and CD and download, with some bonus tracks thrown in, and they're hoping for it to come out in November. Here's a clip of their song Blackbirds to give you an idea what it sounds like.
that little film roll noise at the end, that was actually the uh, credits for Low Fidelity Records that's helping with this uh, campaign uh, for the campaign video. So that's not in the song, but I think it's a, a pretty slick uh, campaign video. I can't tell you all the packages for this campaign because they launched with 44 different tiers, but that's because they've got like every possible combination of all the different pieces, parts you could want. I can tell you that $15 gets to the remastered download plus the bonus material. $20 gets to the deluxe CD and download and bonus tracks. $25 for the 180-gram black vinyl. But then you can also get transparent red, orange and white, red and orange, and then there's a multicolor splatter design. They have shirts, a lyric and photo book, and more. The campaign goal is $14,000, but they have a stretch goal of $25,000. And if they hit that, Every music purchase will include their indie debut project, Era of Condolence. If you ordered all the flowers in digital, you get Era in digital. If you ordered all the flowers in vinyl and digital, you get Era in vinyl and digital. And the same for the CD version. Head over to Kickstarter and search for The Throws, T-H-R-O-E-S. This campaign closes Sunday, March 31st. And... While we're talking about albums I love, if you missed out on the Kickstarter for the vinyl reissue of Charlie Peacock's album West Coast Diaries Volume 2, which we covered way back in Episode 9, I have good news for you. You can still pre-order it for $26. If you go to WCD2, that's the number 2, dot XYZ, you can find information to pre-order single or double copies. That's WCD2, like West Coast Diaries 2, dot XYZ. While we're talking about pre-orders, I have a couple more for you. Starflyer 59 has just surprised everyone with a new single and word that a new album titled Young In My Head is set to release on April 26th, but they'll be launching a pre-order for vinyl very soon. So keep your eyes open. As soon as I see the details, I will be sharing where you can find them with all of you. In the meantime, here's a clip of that new single, Hey, Are You Listening? Excited for more music from them, and I will let you know as soon as the vinyl pre-order launches. Now, you also need to know about a pre-order for a new double CD of Faith-Infused Americana Rock and Roll from Bill Melanie. And this time, it's a double project. It's his first time putting out a double album, and the album titles are Lead On, Kindly Light, and This World and One More. He's looking at about 25 songs coming out sometime around April. And he has some early mixes up at his Bandcamp page. Now, here's a clip of one of those early mixes. So remember, it's just an early mix, not an album mix. But it's for the song, When the Walls Came Down. 
The double CD set looks to be out $35. You can head over to BillMalaneyMusic.com, pick it up there, or you can go over to Bandcamp and uh, get it through his Bandcamp page. So be sure to check out the pre-order for the new double album from Bill Maloney. Next, I want to thank Rachel in the Facebook group for letting us know about David Belt's GoFundMe to raise funds for a new album of seven songs about God's goodness. Now, here's a clip from a rough video of one of his bluesy songs, Who I'm Gonna Be. Here's a clip of his soulful song, All Right. Does anybody, does anybody know the answers? Cause God Almighty, He knows I'm trying to find them. A donation of any amount will get you an early download copy of the new album, and then he's got additional levels as well. Now, keep in mind that GoFundMe is different than like a Kickstarter or Indiegogo. It is all donation-based, but any amount will get you the early download copy of the new album. And then he's got some kind of other target goals as well. Head over to GoFundMe and search for David Belt. Next up, I want to thank Ben in the Facebook group for making sure we knew that Jamie Rowe from Guardian is putting out a more acoustic folk-style EP to be titled This Is Home, and he launched a Kickstarter campaign for it. Here is a clip of his song, Better Off Than Yesterday, so you've got an idea of what his acoustic stuff sounds like.
$15 gets the digital download of the EP, $20 for the CD, and there are more options at the campaign page. Now, this campaign has already fully funded, so this is this is going to happen. It's already made its goal. Head over to Kickstarter and search for This Is Home. This campaign closes Sunday, April 7th. Next, we've got a trio of worship projects. The first is Lauren Combs with a Kickstarter campaign to put out an EP of five original worship songs, kind of shooting for an all-sons-and-daughters vibe. In fact, here is a YouTube clip of her doing a cover of the all-sons-and-daughters song, All the Poor and Powerless. Now, there's no digital-only level, but you can get a signed CD of the EP along with a pin and a sticker for $25. So head over to Kickstarter and search for As He Promised. That's the name of her EP. This campaign closes Monday, April 1st. The second worship Kickstarter is by Ben Oliver for a full-length album to be titled Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs. He's been a worship pastor at several churches over the past 12 years and is ready to record this collection of songs. Here are a couple clips of some earlier songs he did as Hope Worship, so you've got an idea of what he sounds like. For I know who I am I belong to you I know who I am What love is this That we are called Now, there's no digital-only level for his campaign either, but $25 gets the CD, so head over to Kickstarter and search for Ben Oliver. This campaign closes Friday, March 29th. And the last worship project for the episode is a Kickstarter campaign for Scott Thomas to put out an EP of five original worship songs to be titled Undivided Affection. And I want to thank Dave in the Facebook group for making us all aware of it. Scott's been a worship leader for the past 20 years and writing songs for even longer. He doesn't have any clips of his music on the campaign page, but Dave's word is enough for me to at least start tracking down what Scott's music might sound like. If he's got any samples or links, I'll be sure to post them in the Crowdfunding Christian Music Facebook group. $8 gets you the digital download of the EP. $25 gets you the CD and download, and then there's more. So head over to Kickstarter and search for Undivided Affection. This campaign closes Monday, March 25th. And I want to thank the hardworking folks over at Indie Vision Music. They are the ones that let us know about the next couple hard music 
campaigns. First is The Blamed, a punk band made up of past members of The Crucified, Head Noise, and Six Feet Deep. They've been signed to Tooth and Nail way back in the days, and they are still around and launched an Indiegogo campaign for a new full-length album. Now here's a clip of their song, The Lonely Zagreb, so you've got an idea of what they sound like. $10 gets to the digital download, $16 gets to the CD, $25 gets to vinyl, and there's more. Head over to Indiegogo and search for The Blamed. This campaign closes April 14th. Next up are the Christian horror punk band Grave Robber. They are running a pre-order for a vinyl version of their most recent album, Escaping the Grave. They're doing a limited run of 300 copies and are doing a pre-order for $20. And the link will be in the show notes. And Solid State Records band Death Therapy are running a pre-order for vinyl copies of their new album, Voices. In fact, not only can you get the orange vinyl version of Voices with digital download for only $17, but you can also get their last album, The Storm Before the Calm, on white vinyl for $17. Both will ship around April 10th, and Voices releases on April 12th. Head over to the Solid State website for the pre-order. I know there have been a lot of campaigns in this episode, and I hope at least a few of them have really connected with you, and you'll follow up and check them out. If you have any questions or feedback, or if you want to give me a heads up about a campaign, you can contact me via email, goodpatronpodcast at gmail.com, or pop into the Crowdfunding Christian Music Group on Facebook and share it with us. I am excited to keep digging into the topic of how to be a good patron, and I hope I encourage you in your journey from fan to patron. Until next episode, remember, great music doesn't just happen, so get involved. Good Patron Podcast is a co-production of Garrett Godfrey and Dave Trout as a part of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported, nonprofit ministry in Chicago, Illinois, and online at utrmedia.org. Now stick around for the full conversations I had with some amazing folks these past few weeks. And here is my interview with John J. Thompson from True Tunes. So I know music festivals, specifically Cornerstone, played a really pivotal place in your life. Um, oh, yeah. It inspired you to run the music department of the local store, then start your own store and a concert venue and a magazine and a mail order business and a website, all while being in a band yourself. And eventually mm-hmm. you ran the gallery stage for Cornerstone, right? Yeah, it was kind of, um, there had been a, what they called the adult contemporary stage. <laughs> and I was always like, that is terrible. Like what a, what a way to make sure nobody cool ever goes there. So one of the first years or maybe the first year that true tunes came on to actually sponsor and we had some money to invest. I went to the the festival director who at the time was a guy named Henry Wong. And I said, Hey, how about if I kick in some money and we can beef up the production, you know, we can get a better PA and lights and a little bit bigger stage. Like what would that cost? And what if we put it right by the art gallery where they did all of their paintings and their art shows 
And we just called it the gallery stage because it was next to the art gallery. And I said, and I'd like to curate and kind of help speak into who played there because instead of being, instead of calling it adult contemporary or even acoustic, let's just make it the place where the music was meant to be really appreciated where we were going to sit down and we were going to really savor the music the same way you would in an art gallery, you know? So we were going to treat the music a little differently than they did in the punk shows and the, and even in the main stage, when you're watching something from a distance at the gallery stage, you were getting up close and you were spending more time. You were kind of lingering there and they set up a coffee shop, you know, like you could get some coffee and sit there and, the first year we had acoustic solo artists. We had, I think, one of the very first Lost Dogs sets ever. We also had Phil Keggy play a full band power trio rock set that blew everybody's mind. So it was never just acoustic, but it, but it had kind of been born out of the adult contemporary thing. And, and it really embodied not the totality of what True Tunes was, because True Tunes covered metal and hardcore and punk and all the stuff that was at the festival, but it kind of embodied what, what the essence of my particular personal passions were at true tunes. And so, yeah, I became kind of the de facto MC and spoke a lot into who played there. And later on my band ended up playing there some, and uh, we put the new band showcase there for several years. So when the unsigned artists would play in the afternoon and we would have, you know, from say lunchtime until three or four in the afternoon, you'd be watching artists that were totally new. Nobody had ever heard of them kind of things. And that's where Sixpence None the Richer first played at Cornerstone. That's where Josh Garrels first played. That's where POD first played. Now, a lot of them, you never, they never went on to become names like that, but it was a pretty, pretty special thing. You know, it was, it was kind of the chrysalis or the, the, the pod that stuff grew out of. And you could watch some of those artists move from the afternoon at the gallery to the evening at the gallery to the main stage. And then the real legacy was when you were the bands that played at midnight at the gallery you know, like Over the Rhine and Violet Burning and Vigilantes of Love and Lost Dogs and the Choir and the 77s. That was kind of the one of the marquee spots for a lot of people to to at the end of a long, hot day, you just kind of sit there under the moonlight and sip your coffee or your Thai iced tea and kind of half asleep and just uh, really enjoy some transcendent music and Groups like Iona came over from Ireland and played, and Aradna played this weird Indian music. And I like their stuff. Know, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. just really, really eclectic and really cool. And so I always felt like the gallery stage at Cornerstone was a a festival within a festival. And there were a lot of people over the years that that's just all they ever went to. Like they kind of set up camp at the gallery, and then that that's really where where they went. They never bothered to go anywhere else. They might venture down to the main stage for one or two things or somewhere else, but really the gallery stage was their main thing. Just like there were some kids who all they cared about was the underground stage or all they cared about was, uh, you know, the, the asylum tent for the goth right. things, whatever. Cornerstone was, was really kind of like a, uh, a mass assembly of 10 or 12 different gatherings under one, larger umbrella 
more than most festivals are. But all the tribes seem to get along very well. Usually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So now, but you've also been involved with Audio Feed since Cornerstone closed and Audio Feed started up, right? A little bit. I mean, they booked me to come a couple of times and speak or play. Um, I I wasn't really involved like as a, a planner or on any kind of level like that. They they invited me a few times to come and I went and I enjoyed being there. Yeah. So considering Cornerstone and Audio Feed and, and some of the other festivals you may have been involved with, what's the appeal of festivals to you as a fan? Like if you're talking to a, a, a music fan who's considering maybe going to a festival for the first time, uh, what's in it for them? What's the draw? What's the appeal? I still enjoy going to festivals, whether they're, you know, Christian festivals or mainstream festivals. A lot of times it's a great way to discover a lot of new stuff for a relatively low amount of money. And in a relatively short amount of time, you can kind of cast a net and discover things. So that's that's kind of on the practical side. So that if you love music and you're not just wanting to hear the same stuff that you already like, but you still have that discovery itch then there's nothing like a festival to help you discover new music. I also find that festivals are a lot of fun for meeting people. And that's, to me, Cornerstone was really about people. Uh, I went to the first one when I was almost 14 years old, and I met people at that festival that I still am in touch with, that are still friends of mine to this day. Um, Cornerstone, because it was it was not even just the fact that it was Christian music, it was weird even by Christian music standards. And so the types of people that were there, even though some of them were into heavy metal and some of them were into folk protest music and some of them were into more mainstream Christian music, there was an aesthetic there that meant that, boy, we all, if we're all into this, we have something in common that most of us don't have in common with almost anybody else that we know. Like we don't, we don't share this with people at school or even people at church, a lot of us. So when we go to Cornerstone, we're looking at five, 10, 15,000 other people, and we automatically have at least one thing in common, right? Yeah. And it's that Cornerstone thing. And back in the 80s and in the 90s, that was really hard to find. This is in the pre-Facebook, pre-chat rooms pre-internet era. You had to actually get off your sorry butt and go get yourself into a place to be around people. And so that that was the thing is that festivals created community. They they actually allowed for community to happen. And now it's a little bit different because we're spoiled. We have this virtual community. We think it's community and it's really not. It's, it's a facsimile of community. Um, it's a reasonable alternative. I, I think it's a lame alternative, but, but we get online and we're in groups and we're, you know, we, we kind of silo ourselves off and stuff. And so we tend to hear things that we agree with all the time. And we, we are around people virtually who are a lot like us. Uh, and so getting to a festival, is an opportunity to actually be around bodies, to be in a place where there are humans that you're going to bump into. And I like going to them for that reason, because you can actually have conversations with people you might disagree with about something. You might agree with about something. You might discover 
actual relationships with three-dimensional human beings, not two-dimensional little boxes of human beings that are projecting an image of themselves that's no more real than the image you're projecting of yourself. So the, the thing about festivals is that they are what you allow them to be. There's nothing magical about the thing itself because there are plenty of festivals. I've been to South by Southwest, for instance, down in Texas, and and it's one of the biggest, and may, maybe it's the biggest, I don't know, music festivals in the world. Um, ostensibly, it was originally about music industry people coming together for professional purposes, but now it's really just a, a massive party. And you know, is it a good place to go discover new music? Sure. If you want to fight through the crowd of puking drinkers and party mayhem and stuff, but I did it a few times and I, I made some business contacts and I discovered some new music and I saw some interesting films, but it was a lot of work cutting through the noise at a thing that big. But I did it because I invested the time and energy and money to go there and do it. But a lot of people were just there for the party. And that's the same way that a lot of festivals are. That's, I mean, there's people that I met at Audio Feed that, and at Cornerstone that, at the, especially in the last 10 years, they weren't there with the same kind of intentionality that a lot of us were there at, uh, with in the early years. Um, because I don't think that they felt that hunger that we had in those early years. They're not as desperate for that kind of community that we were. Right. Um, but if you are looking for it and you're intentional about it uh, and you go to the right ones, because some Christian festivals, for instance, they really aren't interested in that. They're just kind of like trotting out whatever bands are on Christian radio. And it's very packaged and very synthesized and very sterilized. And, um, you know, I've gone to a lot of those things and they're all the same everywhere. And it's it, it, there's not really a. a there's not the kind of seminars that they had at Cornerstone. There's not the kind of conversations. There's not a lot of space for you to bump into people and sit at tables with strangers and eat your food and have a mess on your face that somebody's going to tell you about. There's, you know, you're not camping next to strangers and, and borrowing uh, food and um, you're going to a hotel at night and coming back in the morning and it's just, it's very clean and very organized. And, but then there are opportunities to go to some things that are, kind of chaotic and kind of messy and very human. And, and there's a lot of beauty in that. So I think that from a fan perspective, there's that practical thing about discover a bunch of music fast and take a lot of notes, buy a lot of stuff, get some cool swag, you know, that, and then there's this spiritual side of connect with human beings and make some relationships. And if you're the kind of person who does that easily, then it's kind of like an all you can eat buffet. But if you're the kind of person who doesn't do it easily it's a good challenge because you're kind of going to a party where most of the people are in the mood to be cool and hang out. So right. it's like, if you're awkward around people, you find it difficult to make friends, then most festivals are the easiest place in the world to practice being a human being. <laughs> you know, it's yep, like you can, yep. you can kind of go up to anybody and just have a conversation. It's a very so, accepting environment. Yeah, I mean, and that that's not that's not even limited to Christian. I mean, like I went to the Outlaw Festival, which is Willie Nelson's thing. Um, I go to a lot of these different things, and I find that people are just really quick to want to chat and talk about any number of things. So as an artist, what would you say is the benefit for fans attending a festival? So whether I'm going to see The Wayside or whether I'm going to hear you as a speaker at a festival, yeah. um What's the what's the appeal for the artist to have fans coming to a festival? Well, obviously, the biggest benefit is that you can connect with people from a wide range of places that would take you a lot longer 
in fact, these days it would be impossible to connect with that many people because most of us, there's not venues in a lot of towns. So um, our music, our genre, our brands aren't big enough to go tour in a lot of small markets. So by hitting a festival that can draw five or 10 or 15,000 people, we can actually get in front of people that are from a whole region. And that's what Cornerstone also did in the early days for artists like the 77s or Adam again. They essentially could do a tour with one festival. You know, they could hit the whole country. They could, after festival, after Cornerstone happened, I remember talking to a lot of artists because True Tunes, the business that I started was kind of like, a way to, we said, we always said it was like keeping the Cornerstone buzz going all year long. Like, um, early on, Cornerstone happened in the summer and then it faded and it was gone all year. And these artists tried to find a way to keep the blood pumping and it was difficult. They would mail out newsletters. They would try to gather up people's addresses at their merch tables and stuff like that. But it was really expensive and, cumbersome to try to stay connected with the fans and true tunes was a way that we could kind of gather that tribe with a magazine and a mail order thing throughout the year so a lot of artists could not tour very much but by playing something like cornerstone where 20,000 people from around the country gathered in one place well then those fans all go back home and now you've got a fan base spread out around the country and so when your band does decide to go out and tour and you're looking for churches to play at or whatever, you've now got advocates all over the country. That doesn't happen as much anymore because there's not events like Cornerstone that are drawing from all over the country. There's regional festivals. So it's actually kind of cannibalized itself. It used to be that um, you could play in these markets uh, like at churches or clubs or something. But now people, the audience has kind of become attuned to playing at or are going to festivals. They kind of expect festivals now. It's almost the Walmart effect. Like instead of going to a shoe store to buy shoes and being willing to pay a premium for a really good shoe, they expect to go to a, a, a concert that has 10 artists for 10 bucks, you know, or a, right. a festival where they're getting a hundred artists for, and that means that the artists don't really get paid very much, if anything, to play at the festival itself. So you're hoping that you can connect with a wider range of people. But now that people don't buy music because they can get all their music for ostensibly for free, the math is really challenging. So the opportunity is you're connecting with a whole lot of new friends, but the challenge is how can you monetize that or can you? And can you turn that into something sustainable? Can you make enough relationships with those people that maybe if you do something like a crowdfunding thing down the road, you wanted to do a Kickstarter, now you've got an army that's a little bit bigger that might support you with that. Or house concert tour you've got a list now and you say hey we're going to be in omaha do we have anybody in omaha that wants us to play in their living room those kind of things but that's just such a massive difference than than what it was 25 years ago uh, but it's the reality that we've got well so i mean I, still I i remember back in the day when i'd gone to cornerstone picking up the paradigm shift cd demo there was like a little four song demo and that's what Philip Kim saw that got him signed to Insole and the Donderfliegen cassette from the guys that like became Dataphobia. And like, I, I loved seeing all the new bands at the generator stages and, you know, bands I'd never heard of and I'm going to check them out and I'm going to go into the, you know, the rad rockers section of the tent and pick up a bunch of music. And even, even afterwards, I was in a music department of a store, Christian bookstore. I had access to all the major label stuff, but I would save up my money to trek all the way out to Wheaton 
to like spend hours at True Tunes. Like, you know, I'm buying the Savior Machine indie demo and the cassette from, you know, Vague and like, you know, all oh all gosh. these different wow. yeah, you know, I mean all these different um projects that you guys had that nobody had unless, you know, Spring Arbor maybe had it on their microfish. But like right. you know, um today with the, the ability to sell the music or get a record label deal or some of those things gone, um, and the cost, like you'd mentioned of even going, do you think that the landscape for festivals is changing near future? Well, it's already changed pretty cataclysmically. You know, it's like I said, the, the big festivals, the cornerstone has been gone for what, six years, seven yeah. years now. Um, uh, the, on one hand, there are, there are some signs of hope for niche things. Like they're not going to be as big as what Cornerstone was. I don't think. And even Cornerstone was kind of fracturing at the end, the last decade or so, it really felt like there, there was five events happening at once. In fact, I was on staff the last, you know, what, I don't remember how many years, 10 or 12 years. Um, And we kind of talked about how there was, there was really kind of a, a youth group festival happening and there was a gallery stage festival happening and there was a hardcore festival happening. And we even toyed around with the idea at one point of having one festival one weekend that was going to be the gallery stage. Um, we would just build one indoor kind of tented stage and have it be the gallery stage one weekend. And then in the weekdays between, uh, we would have like conference type stuff like seminars. And then the following weekend, have it be the underground stage. And, and because we said there was almost no carryover between those two audiences. And, but why bother having the main stage? Because so many of the artists that Cornerstone had once had the exclusive uh, relationship with, they were playing everywhere then, yep. you know? So um, now a lot of that stuff, some of them on the rock side, they went mainstream and they started playing the Vans Warped tour and they played all, and then the Christian side, they were playing every Christian festival. So there was no longer a need to drive as far as it for some of them to come to Cornerstone. Right. Um, so the, the mainstreaming has meant that the big stuff got bigger and the little stuff went away. And so now what we have are like kind of the equivalent of house shows. There are small niche things. And I could see there being festivals of a thousand or two thousand people happening around the country where people are really interested in a particular slight. Well, the fact that over the Rhine has their own festival happening on their property in Ohio, that kind of thing um, is encouraging because you say, well, now that is definitely a carryover. You got to think that there's a good number of people at that festival that used to be at the gallery. I don't know what the percentage is, but there's got to be a good number that if, if Michelle and I make it there this summer, we'll see some people we know where we're pretty confident in that. Um, but uh but the challenge is still how you monetize that you know how how can artists afford to get out on the road and keep making music everything is very topsy turvy right now when it comes to that the way people are consuming music is not generating the kind of money that it used to generate so i'm not uh pessimist about it long term i still think that music has value and people will invest in the stuff that matters to them one way or another, but it's taking a lot of ingenuity and creativity. Festivals are also the kind of thing, interestingly, where people will invest money. They'll they'll pay a decent amount of money. I think about the fact that Cornerstone, even at its most, I think never charged more than 
like $130 for a ticket. Yeah, and it and was some all those, weekend but, long, and it was – Oh, it was tons, more than that. I mean, tons, was, it, tons of bands. It was I a mean, week long at one point. Yeah. I mean, there was like – there was times when it was officially four days, but then there was like two pre-days and one post-day. Yeah. And then people could come and camp early. You know, it was like there was literally yeah. one or two years when we were there. Those of us who worked there were there for eight days. Wow. And, and people paid $130 for that. And now people are paying – a hundred bucks for a quote unquote festival. That's really one day. It's, you know, it's, they go like, like Vans Warped Tour or something like that. Yeah. You know? So although that festival's over now too. So um, yeah, it's all changing and it's all different. And I think we're going to probably see as Spotify and the different streaming services mature, um, the tracking of what's streaming in different regions I bet you Spotify will start owning some tours. We're going to start to see Spotify festivals where artists were going to get booked in different regions based on who's streaming their music, you know, and um, that's just kind of the way things are going. And, you know, I, as long as people can afford to do it, ultimately to me, what's, what matters is human beings in a place together, experiencing music together and forming relationships, both with each other as fans and with the audience, the artists. Right. Um, that to me is the most important thing. That's always been the most, I mean, that's, that's why I did when I went to the first cornerstone festival and I was almost 14, I, I'll never forget this. The whole day I was there for one day and I begged my youth leader to take me and um, I loved everything I saw. I loved the merch tent or building. I love, I bought, you know, buttons from bands that I liked and I bought some records and stuff. It was the farewell tour of sweet comfort band. I remember. And there was, I saw res band and I saw the choir. They were called youth choir back then. Um, I loved everything I saw. And when I saw the 77s play on main stage and it was like full daylight and all that stuff, they were early on the after, like early in the night. When I saw the 77s play, I thought, Oh my goodness, like this kind of changes everything. This stuff is as good or better than this band should be right up there with the cars. Yep. They should be right up there with every band I'm listening to. And um, this event, this festival is so cool that I want everybody that I love in the world to come here and experience this with me. Like it wasn't just about the shows. It was also about the camaraderie I was experiencing and I never wanted it to end. And so I literally created a life where it hasn't like it was, I've, I've kept that in one way or another going. And that is what young people today still, when they experience the power of music to bring people together and transcend the muck and mire of whether it's politics or divisions or whatever fear that's going on in their daily life, festivals are one way to have that in a large capacity way. But then house concerts, you know, that's that's a, that's like the festival in a pill form, like in a small little intimate. You've been doing stuff you know, in, a, in your basement, right? Well, no, or somebody else's. We have this patio and we actually have the gallery stage sign from Cornerstone. They gave it to me uh, as a gift the last year that it was there. And we hung it up in the back and we have this kind of covered patio in our back. And so we call it Gallery South. And um, we've had a number of shows back there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we we kind of made it a little venue and we've done shows. My neighbor's basement, she, her name's Grace. And so she calls her basement the Gracement. And she's got a little stage in there. So one time the 77s played in her basement. 
Um, and, um, we've had shows in our living room and, and, uh, yeah, so we've, we've done a lot of house shows, whether they're in the house or out back, I just can't stop. You know, I've, I just had Randy Stonehill and Pat Terry here at Treveca where I work, where my day job is. Um, I just can't stop doing it. I can't stop bringing people together. It's kind of why I'm, I think why I was put here on this planet. So I'm not going to stop. If I can keep doing it, I'm going to keep doing it. If you could say one thing to the folks who organize, attend, or perform at music festivals, what would it be? Appreciate it. Like absorb every moment. Don't take it for granted. Be present. You know, just be present in the moment. Uh, there's so many, uh, um, so many things that happened at Cornerstone. My sons and I, we were just talking about this the other night because they grew up at Cornerstone, literally. I mean, we dragged them around in, in wagons and stuff when they were newborns, but my son said there's a hole in his heart that's the shape of Cornerstone. He misses it so badly. But there's so many stories that people come up and tell me about that I don't even remember. But there's also so many that I do. And when you're in that space, just be present and be available and enjoy it because you never know how long it's going to last. We only have so many minutes in this life. So be there for them. Put put your cell phone down and enjoy that. Enjoy oh, absolutely. Somebody I mean. else like, will put it on YouTube. You don't have to do exactly. Yeah, yeah just don't enjoy worry it. about that stuff. And, yeah. and if you're an artist, take advantage of the time to actually talk to the fans and like be there with the fans. If you're a fan, yeah, put your phones down and and just be in the moment and let, now take a picture. If you need to take a picture, take a picture, then put it away. Um, like do it in the first minute or two of the show and then put your phone away and be present. Um, but just enjoy it and, and don't take it for granted because nothing lasts forever. Thank you very much, John. I sure do appreciate your time. Absolutely. We'll talk again. Okay. Have a good one. Bye. All right. And here's my full interview with Dave Hawkins from the Ansto radio podcast. So, um, let me jump in on festivals I know that you've been to Audio Feed because I heard you talk about it on your radio show and podcast, The Antidote. But have mm-hmm. you been to other festivals as well? Well, yeah. In 1987, I went to one in Canada called Oasis that lasted exactly one year. And that's actually where I became a Christian. So and it was just the coincidence of being there. I wasn't searching out to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a commitment right now. It was there was a lot of steps up to it at that point. So I did go to that festival, other festivals. I've been to Kingdom Bound, which is in upstate New York. Been to that a couple of times. And I've been to Soul Fest in New Hampshire. Okay. Because when I discovered that they were going to have both the OC Supertones and Five Iron Frenzy, who were both newly, you know, reunited bands playing there, how could I resist? So when was that that they that they did that? Oh, I think that was man, that was several years ago now. So it was recent as they rebanded. It wasn't in the in the original incarnation. Not of those in bands? not in the original. See, because oh, wow. I got into their music all after they had just stopped performing. Man, so to be able to see them afterwards—that's awesome. I told my wife, I said, "My life is complete. That's it." You know, I saw the two of them play back to back shows. <laughs> That's awesome. So now now you're attending Audio Feed? Was that your first time or have you been going regularly? No, I went to the very final cornerstone when I heard the announcement being put up that this was going to be it for the festival. I thought, this is the time. I've got to make the commitment and go down. So I did go down for the festival on my own 
Um, and of course that was the final year, but then a lot of people that were, they're not, couldn't say they were actually involved with it, but they, you know, supported the idea of Cornerstone. And I guess a couple of years later, maybe it was just a year or two later, they decided that they should start a festival that was sort of based around that similar idea, you know, which is basically very alternative type of Christian bands. For the music fan who's considering going to their very first festival, what's in it for them as a fan? Well, as a fan, whatever type of music you're into, they play it. It goes right from singer-songwriter to death metal, and there's everything in between. So if you want something that's, you know, let's put it this way, as, as safe music, you know, something that's not going to be as challenging as maybe some bands could be, that's a great one to go to because you could spend the whole day seeing that type of artist. Um, you know, so, and again, just the variety of styles that are being played from the different bands at the show, it's pretty extensive. So what surprised you as a new attendee um, way back at that first Canadian festival? Was it Oasis? Is that what you said? Was It that? was called Oasis. Yeah. yeah. So what, what surprised you kind of the first time you went to a festival? Well, I was familiar with most of the bands, but seeing the type of community of people that gather together at a music festival is really, it's extraordinary. You know, so you're constantly talking with people. I remember going to one festival and one of my teenage kids was with me and I said, you know, we were in between seeing bands and I said, let's just go talk to people. So you start wandering campsites and just bring along your coffee and a bag of treats and let's talk music. Because wow. everybody's there for the same purpose. You know, they've got the same type of outlook. And then what brings you back year after year? Would you say it's that that community? It's that community. Where uh, where audio feed is maybe a little bit different from a lot of festivals is that artists will come and stay for the entire length of the festival for the four days, even though they're only playing one set. And they're just there to see other bands play. So it is. It's really just a gathering community. So often you're going to see a band play with another band. You're actually going with them like, hey, let's go and see so-and-so play. And it's like, great, let's do that. So for the artists... What would you say the benefit is of fans coming to see them at a festival versus just a, a regular, you know, drove through your town sort of concert? Well, again, you can make that kind of connection because, again, with many of the artists spending some time there, they make themselves very open. And this is where Christian artists are so different from mainstream artists. You know, to be able to go and talk to a band after their show with the mainstream market, that doesn't happen. But with Christian artists, yeah, they want to make themselves available to talk about whatever you might want to talk about. But I think for the, a lot of the artists, you know, why they like to go, because, of course, it's revealing their music to people that may have never heard them before. And sometimes you'll always find that surprise band and you're saying, oh, my goodness, you know, where have you been all my life? I know that uh, for me, I went to a couple couple years at Cornerstone, and it was exactly that experience. I loved walking through all the tents, all the pop-up generator stages, just all. I mean, it was overwhelming how many new bands I'd never seen before. And then the choice of like the different stages, I have to choose between maybe seeing The Crucified or seeing Vector. It's like... I, I get they're different, but please don't make me choose between them because I, I love both, <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, the, 
the community, seeing the folks um, around the campfire and running into the same folks, uh, you know, a couple years later is is really pretty spectacular. I mean, I think virtually every morning that we were ever camping at a festival, we had people over for coffee and cookies or toast at breakfast time. It's like, come on over. We've got the pot on. We can pour you a cup. There you go. If you could say <laughs> anything to the folks who organize, attend, or perform at music festivals, what would it be? Oh, man. Well, I mean, that's where they're all going to be looking at it from so many different ways. But I think it's that community building. That's going to be the key for everyone there. It's going to be key for the attendees. It's going to be key for the bands, key for the organizers, because this is what constantly draws people back. Because people, you know, literally will drive across the country. I met people from Mexico, and here they were driving up to Illinois. Oh, wow. I remember the one time it was just insane. Back to being at Soulfest, I met two guys that drove nonstop from Los Angeles to New Hampshire just to see Five Iron Frenzy play. Wow. And you're thinking, you guys are obsessed. Wow. You know, I I do remember when they came back that there was a huge outpouring of fan support. I mean, they still they still had their, their solid fan base all those years later. They do. And that's why sometimes you'll find bands will come back for a reunion or just a one-shot off-the-wall concert and will come out just to perform at a festival because they're not really going to be committed into doing a tour. They don't want to do that anymore. But to come out and meet many of their fan base and people that used to know them in their past, it's a great way to do it. So do you think that um, – I know for a while Cornerstone had gotten rather large, and then it seemed like the main stage had been such a, a cost for them financially to, to bring mm-hmm. these bigger names. Um, and audio feeds kind of managed to stay away from that. It's kind of everything that you loved about Cornerstone, including the – the art and the the teaching sessions and those kind of things minus the main stage. Um, Mm -hmm. But do you think that the, the nature of festivals is, is still changing or do you think this is kind of the, the new normal? Well, I think, yeah, it's sort of unfortunate, but I think with really so many of the festivals just don't find it successful to do anymore. I think it's the cost of staging the event. Um, Cornerstone was a non-for-profit as audio feed is some of the other festivals it's corporately run, but it's really, it's the costs involved. Um, I know at least with audio feed, they do guarantee that their artists that do come will be paid other festivals. You find people will go and just, they play for free. The cost is all theirs and they go just for the exposure. But of course, sometimes, you know, if you're at a festival and you've got, Say if you've got 15,000 people that may have never seen you before, you can do something significant with that. That's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Well, it is. And, you know, for an example, I saw one band play at that final Cornerstone Festival, never heard them before, was walking past and went, wow, you guys are really something else. They played and then they were asked to play some additional shows. So seeing them play at the one stage, which was really designed to hold maybe – 75 people, there's probably 500 people all around outside of it. Some people can't even see the band. Then the band has their merch table. Well, the lineup was literally 100 people deep. And they're just there for hours just 
you know, people picking up CDs or picking up whatever they can from the band. So bands can make that kind of an impact. And again, it doesn't have to be a major band. Well, I've really appreciated um, when you've come back and said, here's all the stuff I discovered at Audio Feed. So I don't know if that's been an annual episode that you put out. Um, Pretty or if well. It was just- you know, you'll pretty well always find somebody that just just blows you away. This one young teenager and his teenage friend and their dad were camping next to us. And they camp next to us every single year that I go. <laughs> well, what do you know? The two The two teenagers got together, put this band together, and they just did a very – what they call an impromptu or – I think they call it an open porch stage. And basically, as a band, you can just go put your name on it and say, okay, I want to play it this time on the stage you don't get paid you just go to do it and some of the large bands want to go and do that too just because it can be sort of fun but what do you know these two kids go out and put on just a killer show one of the best shows i saw and the crowd went nuts and you go here you are you just you guys are just barely graduated high school and this is the kind of thing that kind of impact that you've made but they've grown up with this community of support and appreciation for quality music and an understanding of what it could be like from year after year of coming to the festival. Exactly. That's I remember speaking with one girl and she said that her parents had met and married at a Christian music festival. And here she is with her husband who, guess what, met at a Christian music festival (laughs) and they've got their, their toddlers in tow. That's awesome. It's fabulous. Well, I, I had gone to Cornerstone once when I was single and then once newly married and I've got kids now and I'm not, I'm not quite to the, they're not quite to the age where I think I'm ready to try and take them cross country to go to audio feed. Um, now if there was something in like, I'm, I'm in Phoenix. So if there was something in, I don't know, San Diego or, you know, somewhere within a, a day's drive, I might do that. But, um, and you're not going to drag them off to South by Southwest? No, probably not. <laughs> what I'm hearing about that is it's mostly folks going there for the drunk party kind of atmosphere. And it That's might what be I've heard. tricky to find quality, quality showcases. Mm-hmm. Right. No, uh, it's true. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing, because again, you've got that different type of crowd, you know, for each. So, yeah, because most of the Christian festivals know, like, alcohol is not allowed. And they do ask people, even when the weather gets brutally hot, to dress modestly. Right. You know, they don't make it a hard and fast rule. The alcohol they do, they'll just, you will be asked to leave if you've got alcohol. And I can get that. Yeah. You know, because people are there with kids. It's a family event. But you'll get, you know, the the late teen, 20-somethings all there, too, to see every metal band that they can squeeze into their schedule. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you do need to be cloned. For those events, don't you? I know. Because you can never see all the bands you want to see. Too many bands at – I mean, it makes sense to say they're different stages. And it's probably true that most of the metalheads aren't going to want to see Jimmy A or, you know, um, Charlie Peacock or, you know, somebody in the more artistic realm. But, mm-hmm. like, for those of us who have those wide, broad tastes – it can be really hard to choose. And that's my problem because, again, my interests range so widely. 
you know, so I'll want to go and see somebody like Burlap to Cashmere, and then I'll want to see some of the extreme metal bands, too, because they're all bands that I love. Yeah. Are there still Canadian festivals going on? None. Or, no. Oh, no, they did, try, they did try one out in Toronto. The crowd was minimal. I mean, I'm there at this festival that really could have held. It had enough room to hold 10, 15, 20,000, and there was probably six, 700 people there. Oh, my goodness. That makes it really so again, hard to even oh, and recover. It's yeah. So you can't, you can't financially recover from that. No. And I think there's just, there isn't enough draw in Canada for a festival like that. The states seem to be able to do that and even draw people from a fair distance. Well, like for me to drive to audio feed, what am I talking? Probably, probably 14 hour drive. Oh, wow. You know, so we'll do that over two days. Um, but in Canada, no, it's because people are too strung out across the border which is where the bulk of our Canadian population is, and distances are just too far apart. That makes sense. But again, you know, there's, there is, uh, you know, Christian radio stations. My own show actually airs on a mainstream station. So there are Christian radio stations. Um, but again, I don't think there's enough of a demand, enough of a draw to be able to do something like that in Canada. What I've been seeing in the, in the U.S., a lot of in the pop realm – are just the the tours where it's almost like a a festival carnival sort of thing rolls into town and you'll see you know six bands eight bands all day long mm-hmm. and then it just rolls into the next town bingo and, you know that's that's okay that's that's not bad but it's not going to be the kind of diversity that you would see at like an audio feed or or some of the others no. but and that's the thing that interests me about that because I want to see that diversity. Yeah. And that's, of course, when I go to Audio Feed, I have ulterior motives because I want to talk with a lot of these people and we'll just oh, yeah. have people coming over to our camper and let's sit at the table and let's talk about your music. Absolutely. And I'll build those into programs later on. Yeah. Well, I look forward to uh, to which ones you you score this summer. <laughs> Oh, and for I have sure no idea what the schedule is, so I'm interested to see who's going to end up coming. When do they publish that? Usually they start publishing some names by now. Okay. They haven't posted any names yet, which is unfortunate. But okay. uh, I don't know. I guess I'll just have to hope that there's going to be people there that I'm going to want to see. Because I'll probably buy my t- – I usually buy my ticket early because I know it helps them out financially yeah. if you do that. Well, and and the the draw of the community will be there no matter what, and the the likelihood of good discovery will be there no matter what. So, yeah, even if you don't have the big name, well, that's it. Because I know I've already had a couple of bands saying, "Hey, are you guys coming? Are you gonna be? We're gonna be able to see you this year." Very cool. And just other campers that I know from the festival, and it's like, "Hey, are you guys coming? You know, are you guys coming this year." Oh, so awesome. I guess you sort of get dragged into it. If you want to go or not, you have to go. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I yeah. really appreciate your time. I know we could probably yeah. go down a rabbit hole of talking music, but thank you so much, Dave. Well, Garrett, thanks again. Thanks for having me on. You I bet. appreciate it. Talk to you later. Okay, man. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Here's my interview with Professor Allen and M from the podcast From Dorkness to Light. So I appreciate your time. I wanted to talk about um, festivals specifically. I know we could yeah. probably go down all kinds of rabbit trails about common loves of bands <laughs> and books and 
everything else. But that's um, for another day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. So so let me go ahead and get started. I know that you've been to Audio Feed because I heard you yes. talk about it on your podcast, From Dorkness to Light. Have you been right. to other festivals as well? Yes, we started off. I I was an an, an early fest goer in the late '80s. There was one in Virginia called Fishnet, and there are probably Fishnet festivals now, but they might be different. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe a different demographic. Um, but those were very mellow, pop music focused, that sort of thing. Um, M's first fest. Oh yeah, I was what. 11 months old? 16 months old. It was in August of 92. We went to one in Atlanta, which I think may have only lasted for one year, called Inner Seeds, or IS, or IsFest. And we went there because it had our three favorite bands playing, The Violet Burning, The Choir, and Mad at the World. And you've talked about at least two of those on your show. Oh, yes. I'm a huge fan of all three, yes. Maybe all three, yeah. Wow. And then, uh, then it was Creation. Uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, we were in Virginia at the time. Uh, creation a couple of times. It was a little more, a little more of the rock shows, that sort of thing. And then when we got out here, it was a live fest, which is a couple hours north of Columbus, so sort of in the Cleveland, Ohio, Akron area. And the highlight there was that we found uh, a band, Lost and Found, that oh, we'd yeah. become yeah, huge fans of, and they weren't really on the bill. No, weren't, they were like they it, were like the the host or. Well, it was great because the, Lost and Found is like the archetypical Lutheran band that you know every everyone in Lutheran circles knew them, mm-hmm. but because Alive was more of a like CCM like popular music festival, no one know, knew who they were. Yeah. So they showed up to be like, oh, we'll do a couple shows here and there at some of the smaller tents. But then at one point, they basically just took over the main stage. But they were, <laughs> yeah, they were, they, the, they, were the, they ended up being the hosts. Sort yeah, of. they they, sh- they showed up to like play a little bit of music to cover while one of the other bands was getting set up. That's cool. And then after the other band left, they basically just stuck around and and emceed the main stage yeah, for cool. four or five hours, and you know played a couple of songs, and then also did some just fun storytelling. Like if you've ever been to a, a lost and found concert like you know what they do just sort of make jokes crack wise occasionally play some songs they did a couple like church camp worship songs when the, during like the lunchtime hour so all the kids could come up and the the perfect act to be on stage while they're changing sets because that's one of the problems with fests right especially oh, yeah. if it's a you know main stage type of situation you've got that 35 minute downtime you need somebody like Randy Stonehill or somebody that can just. You got to have something that can, yeah. someone that can just walk out with a guitar and, and a keep bucket. us, yeah, <laughs> keep us entertained for a couple of songs while they're doing some work. So, which festivals do you attend regularly these days, or had there been some others since since Isfest? Well, we did we did Cornerstone a couple of times. Uh, sadly, just a couple of times. And uh, and now for us, it's really the the uh, spiritual successor to Cornerstone, which is Audio Feed. And the problem with applied to Cornerstone, I think, would probably apply somewhat to Audio Feed as well. Is that Cornerstone? After going to that, it sort of spoils you for every other fest. Exactly. Yeah. I think they every other every other sort of mainstream evangelical fest just pales in comparison. 
because you went to, in 2007. Right. And you went on your own just to sort of just to sort of check it out. We've been out of the festival going scene for a while. And so a new was cornerstone in, was, was different. Teens, a new cornerstone was different. Yeah. But you sort of wanted to check it out and just see, OK, well, would this be something that would be interesting for all of us to still go to? Because I'd sort of fallen out of it as I was like into mm-hmm. my 13, 14, 15 year old, you know, years. I went to a Barlow Girl concert when I was 13. And then I was like, eh, I'm kind of I'm kind of good. For now, but we knew, you know, as my dad said, that Cornerstone was different and that it would have a lot of the old classic bands, but a lot of new weird bands. And it was a little more edgy. And so he's like, well, I'll go check it out and see what's up. And then he proceeded to live tweet in 2007. He was just texting. It was live texting. He was was texting me and my mom like every 45 minutes. Just like. I can't believe I saw this and this and this I just walked by this guy. I just saw this man. Exactly. I I ran into Glenn Kaiser in the bathroom. Um, (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I didn't even know he was going to be here. But Harry Gore is set up in the in the food court. You've talked a lot about him. Yeah. So it's all all of all of those things. So. a lot of people that he hadn't seen in years or didn't know were going to be there and new acts that he was discovering. And he was just texting us constantly. And we're back here stuck in Ohio. Like, okay, hey, why, why aren't we here? So, I know that was, that was a mistake. Okay. It's been more than a dozen years. I think you can get over it at this point. I'm working on it. <laughs> so in 2010, to sort of make up for this, we all, went. we all went. And that was, that was our, that was our cornerstone. Man. It was a, a great lineup and in my mind was sort of the last great cornerstone. That was the year they got Switchfoot. They had Crowder. They had Skillet and Toby Mac and oh, Red. Wow. Like Holy it, cow, it was, those are big names. Yeah, and, it was it was the headline. And, it was it was a it was a legit fest. And we had already decided to go. We had already bought the tickets when they booked after all of that, they booked our one all time family favorite band. The band Iona, based oh, out of yeah. Ireland. And they flew all they the way from They come to the U.S. Ireland. every five, six, seven years, maybe. Yeah, and and, and even then, to the coasts. They'll, right, they'll, yeah. They'll do they, a show they, they somewhere landed coast. in the middle of the country before. Yeah, they flew all the way out into wow. the middle of nowhere, and they played a midnight show, which was transcendent. Because, of course, they've got all of their illin pipes and, and these like really unique woodwind instruments and, and things like that. And it's just this eerie music that was playing that everyone else had sort of started to die off. Most of the loudest acts had sort of finished. It was mostly sort of indie people. And then you'd walk through the giant sprawling like campground (laughs) and you got about halfway through and you could just hear this very faint Irish folk music playing that would just draw you in and, and you could hear it everywhere. It was, it was the most transcendent experience. We stayed there till probably two 30 in the morning, just wow. listening. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, we heard the news in early 2012 that that would be the last one. 2012 would be the last hurrah. And I think I haven't really dug into it, but I think a bunch of the other fests, I, I don't know that alive is going on. I think Ichthus, which is another one around here in Kentucky is gone. I just think the, the economic slowdown, you know, yeah. knocked out a lot of these, including Cornerstone. Mm-hmm. And so we were there in, in, you know, I don't know, February of 2012 or something. And we heard the news that uh, we weren't, you know, that it was canceled. And, you know, my reaction was, oh, this is just so sad. I hate that this happened. I hate we only got there once as a family. That's just too bad. And M had a completely different reaction. Three words. Uh, we're going, right? So, okay, so and, well, I guess. And, and 
And his response was, well, we'll think about it. Well, maybe to which my response then was, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase. Mom and I are going. Yeah. <laughs> and you are welcome. You to can join come us. if you want. Like, tell us if you want to go and we will buy you a ticket. Right. But otherwise, this is going to be the inverse of 2007. We will just leave you. And and we'll text you about what we saw. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which would have been a shame if he could have not been there because – uh, a great thing about Cornerstone 2012 was that it was very different from Cornerstone 2010. Oh, yeah, it was much smaller. A lot of the sort of fiscal problems was that mm-hmm. as some of the CCM bands had gone kind of mainstream and had gotten really big, that there were more booking fees involved. And, yeah, and they sure. processed – more expense. All those great bands we mentioned. Exactly. Oh, bringing yeah. all of them along with their personal techs and their management and their assistants and their lighting, it, it just got more and more expensive. And so the festival was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But some of the things we really loved were kind of getting pushed further and further mm-hmm. and further to the sidelines. And in 2012 – The generator stage is way out back. That The goth tent literally in the next field over, <laughs> like 150 feet away from the rest of the festival. Oh, wow. And and for us, it was, it was a great experience. We really liked mm-hmm. it. But going in 2012, there were a lot of – basically the only people who came – were the old timers yeah. that people had been going for 10, 15 years. And the bands that had played there for 10 or 15 years. You know, exactly. It, 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 it was not a case of who has the, the new album out. Let's book them, which is what you know most of the fests do. This was who's been with us for 10 or 15 years. Let's and we'll book come anyway, again. even though we yeah. probably can't pay them. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and mm. it was, it, it was just such a, just like a moving thing because mm-hmm. it was essentially awake for the festival mm-hmm. with all of these people who'd been there. And so it was celebratory and it was exciting and, and, and it was weird. That yeah. was the great thing for us. I mean, it it was, would have been crushing weird. if they'd announced that it was over after, you know, and, and not had that chance for the morning for the grieving yeah. process. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this a couple of times. No other festival could have ever pulled this off, but there was a Viking funeral <laughs> for the cornerstone true. festival mm-hmm. that uh, in the sort of the artist alley, sort of a commune off in the corner. They built a paper mache Viking longship and picked it up on the last night of the festival, put it, out of the lake. Put it up on their shell on their, on, on their shoulders and walked it through the entire festival, mm-hmm. just sort of slowly collecting people into this big funeral train as they walked through the festival to the lake on the other side, singing amazing grace. And they took it out and they pushed it out into the water and they set it on fire. Wow. And that was it. It was tied with Iona for like the most <laughs> yeah. surreal, moving. And moving like experience. It was it was the strangest moment, but it was so powerful. And wow. it was sort of at that moment that everyone was like, "Okay, Cornerstone is over." Like it ended. It got mm-hmm. closure. And then the following year, when Audio Feed got announced, everyone could sort of start fresh and say, "Well, we don't have to be sad about Cornerstone." Let's all just get together and do it again. See what happens. Exactly. And, and something something new rising from the literal mm-hmm. and metaphorical ashes. Mm-hmm. And we, we did not go to that first audio feed. We went to the second. And now we're in a rhythm of going every other year. Uh, that that works for us. So we go in the in the uh, even numbered years and we regret the things we miss in the odd numbered years. But uh, that's sort of our, our now family family tradition now is work that in among some of the other vacations and trips and that sort of thing. So what is it that brings you back year after year? 
there's something about live music that is just more intimate. And especially with these Christian bands that fall outside of the sort of CCM labels, these these strange indie projects that it's such a, you know, Garrett, the type of music that you, (laughs) exactly the kind I like, (laughs) yeah, the kind of music that you like and that we like and need patrons that need patrons and Patreons. And it's just such a small niche. So you really get the chance to meet and Mm -hmm. interact Mm -hmm. with the bands as people, which is, uh, we are not particularly social people. We are very, very introverted, but most of, the performers also are extremely introverted. So <laughs> your it's just, average singer songwriter up there hiding behind their guitar. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so it's just like a really good energy to actually get to meet these people. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause a, a concert is cool, but there is that really sharp division, you know, like there are the performers and you are the audience and maybe you can shake hands, you know, or get an autograph at the merch table, but that's, that's it. Whereas, as I said, you'll run into Glenn Kaiser leaving the bathroom or just walk by Harry Gore and give him a high five while he's busking in the, in the food court. Uh, You, you get to really know the people in the bands as people. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just, it's just got a really good energy that just sort of brings something different than when you're going back and listening to the music that you can say, Oh yeah, I really love the way that Tyler sings this song, or I really like the way that Nate performs this. And you've mm-hmm. just got that sort of very personal association that makes it special. So for for the music fan who's considering going to their very first festival, um, so like I'm hearing you say the, the, the live aspect of music is going to be a, a huge draw. Is there anything else for the first time festival goer that you would say, uh, you know, if I were to ask what's in it for them, for that, for them as a fan? Well, uh, in, in terms of uh, audio feed in, in in particular, what sort of draws us uh, to that one, and, and it is like Cornerstone before, is that it's, it's different from the mainstream evangelical festivals like, like Creation or Soul Fest or Life Fest, um, the ones that are more sort of tied into Christian bookstores, the Christian industry thing. Cornerstone and, and then audio feed sort of have their their joint history traces back to the more hippie-ish sides of the Jesus movement of the 70s, yeah. and they really have a much different vibe. I think one of Audio Feed's strengths is that they're open to a wider range of, of Christian thought. Uh, you will hear things from bands or speakers that will challenge you in your, pers- you know, your perspective on faith. You'll hear things that are way more conservative than you might be or way more progressive or Pentecostal or Arminian or Calvinist or liturgical or whatever. It's, it's really open to a, a wider swath of, of people of faith than what I found at more mainstream fests in, 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 in terms of that one in particular. So for the artists, um, mm. not being a performer yourself, on stage at a festival, but for the artists, if you were to speculate, what would you say the benefit is to the artist of fans attending at a festival? Um, it's probably the same thing for us getting to meet and interact directly with your fans. Um, we mm-hmm. talked to the performer, Nate Allen on our podcast, and he said that a big part of what his mm-hmm. job is mm-hmm. when he goes to a festival is connecting with people. Because if you build the personal relationships and the people connect with the music, that's how you get 
the patrons. That's how you get the people who are interested in directly fans. supporting yeah. you. That's the yes. lifelong fans. Mm-hmm. That's the people you can count on to buy your album. And then not just buy it, go on Twitter, go on Spotify, share that link, tell their friends, lend it to people, get more and more people invested through word of mouth. That word of mouth is the way that most of these really small, you know, indie acts make their living. And so being able to connect with the fans is like job one. Yeah. I, I, you know, ad, advice that I would give to, uh, to performers is on a very practical basis would be to have merchandise at different price points. You know, I'm a, yes. I'm a business, I'm a business professor. So I always, I always look at it from that perspective. If all you have is the $15 CD and the $25 sweatshirt, you may be pricing potential fans out of your fandom. You know, we, we call it buying into buying into something. Yep. And if, if you can spend, you know, $2 on a sticker or three or $4 on a patch, you know, you should give, you should give fans that chance. Um, well, that ties into something that I, I definitely wanted to circle back to that M had said on your audio feed episode and M, you know what it's about. <laughs> so yes, it is. without me even asking, can you tell us about it? When you're ready to go to a festival, figure out how much you want to spend and bring it all in $5 bills because there will be some people who, you know, just have the $15 CD and then the $25, $30, $35 like specialty sweatshirt. But there will be also, you know, a sticker or a button or something like that. And our sort of patroning mm-hmm. sort of a like scheme going into this is go and buy, you know, one, two, three dollars of merch of the of the little smalls and then just give the 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 act a five dollar bill and that'll cover you know just tell them keep the change it's a gallon and a half of gas or Basically, so that gives them 30 miles down the doing. road or something it's, it's, right. it's 25 miles in cash <laughs> towards the next gig because especially <laughs> for audio feed because the festival is in the middle of nowhere most people <laughs> drive there and play a gig per night sort of on the way to or mm-hmm. from the festival mm-hmm. and so if we can give them the cash and be like here is five dollars that can get you a gallon and a half closer to your next show, then we are, we're not just supporting you financially, but we are supporting you physically being able to get show to show to show to get yourself home. Have you and I, seen... I would say sort of, I was going to say, Garrett, go, ahead. go ahead, Garrett, sorry. No, you go ahead. I was going to say sort of tied into that. Again, this is sort of my, my, my background is that, you know, give yourself a budget on the amount of money you're going to spend probably on, on merch at the festival. Either for you know the full time if you're there two three four days whatever it is or every day and then spend it then spend it and you know if is if it gets to the end of the day and you've still got a couple fives in your pocket well some of the bands will have a donation just a tip jar or, or a, a three dollar download yeah code or for the something album. and and you know and and give them a little extra tip and you know but spend that money just decide beforehand what you're going to spend budget it bring it and spend it. I was going to ask you, I, I remember back, so I'd gone to Cornerstone uh, a couple times in the early 90s, the early and mid-90s. And back then, you know, the, the tents were full of cassettes and CDs, and Mike Delaney had his Rad Rockers Emporium mm-hmm. thing going on. And, um, you know, you could buy demo projects from every band that just showed up. Um, but I know today, a lot of bands aren't even making CDs. Mm-hmm. Um are are they selling like 
here's a Bandcamp download code. Buy it from me so you can get it electronically if they don't even make CDs or – because that's yeah, got to yeah, be a bit some, of a challenge for them. Yeah, some of that it's like on a business card mm-hmm. sort of size sort of thing. Yeah. That will have the download code uh, okay. for it. Or or some will have sort of – I mean you can tell they're pretty much homegrown CDs. You know, the, you know they're they're in a, in a little sleeve. Yeah, a little, little, little paper sleeve yeah, with, written on. And... Yeah, you know, somebody might have, you know, might have put a sticker with the with the song titles on it or something like that. But oh, awesome. you know, with with two or three songs. But but uh, certainly, I certainly are seeing much much more of the of the demo download code. You know, especially for a band that might not have a project yet. Yeah. You know, or okay. they've got they or or they've got the business card that has the you know the upcoming Kickstarter or whatever oh, yeah. it is. Yeah, and I would imagine that that's a a great place to gather some buzz to say mm-hmm. when you get home in a couple days we will launch <laughs> right, the campaign right. so sign up right. for our email list now right. and we'll let you know i think that's what a lot of people are doing is that they start the kickstarter basically the day they leave yeah, yeah. Around, like, okay, it's gonna take around fest season yeah, yeah. it's gonna I, take four days to get to cornerstone <laughs> i'll set up a three-week kickstarter yeah. i think that's so. what happened with sean michelle like when mm-hmm. john thompson started the sean michelle campaign it was mm-hmm. footage from audio feed that was like the right. video or something right sure so that makes sense that makes sense yeah because because yeah. that's that's the other thing is um uh i've seen some people who will just have a like a little bookmark that has mm-hmm. their their patreon link yeah. or mm-hmm. the um or the kickstarter link and it'll just say you know if you want the album it's you know five dollars if you want the album and the digital code mm-hmm. it's ten if you want that and a t-shirt, it's 25. And they'll just have that sort of written down and give it to people. And then if people are so inclined, they can mm-hmm. go back to their hotel or the Starbucks down the street. Check out the Bandcamp page, listen to there a couple more of the songs, and then decide. And then, and, then, and then spend that money while they're still physically at the fest. Yeah. But not buy the physical thing. Right. You know, go and, and join the Kickstarter in the midst of the fest. And then three and a half weeks later start getting the rewards back. And mm-hmm. I, I would say one, one thing to fans as well, and that is to, you know, be open-minded, you know, let, and, and let some, let some serendipity happen, uh, some discovery happen. You know, if there, if there are two bands that are playing sort of, and, and in between them is, is one that you've never heard of. Well, stay and listen to them too, you know, give them a chance to, to, to win you over. Um, give yourself a chance to be won over. Go, now go, go to a fest wanting to discover, New music, a new band, um, you know, wanting to become a fan of an artist you weren't familiar with uh, beforehand. And similarly, one of the things we do, it's about a audio feeds on the other side of the state. So it's a lot closer to us than, than, oh. than Cornerstone was. And I don't know your experiences, Garrett, but that last hour driving to Cornerstone <gasps> took, I mean, I think we're still driving there yeah. from 2012. Yeah. Is yeah. That right? it, it's, and it's it wasn't, you could almost years. see it and you were just crawling. How c- how could I mean, an hour was, take seven hours? I'm, I'm yeah. still not quite sure how that happened. You definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely enter some sort of time warp about halfway through, like Indiana. <laughs> so audio feed is a lot closer. It's on the other side of the state, and so it's uh, closer to us. But still, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I will go through band cams and iTunes of the bands who are going to be you know, be at the fest, and you know, even if I haven't heard of them. You know, check them out a little bit. Oh yeah, you know, buying one or I think I budgeted. I don't know what I budgeted twenty or twenty five dollars or something like that for the playlist. Yeah, for the playlist. And I just went through the audio feed. You know, took took a couple of hours, 
went through, you know, the bands that I hadn't heard of, checked them out, bought some, bought some of their music beforehand yeah. to give us something to listen to sort of in that, that preparation phase. So you that, know some of the songs when you see them yeah, live? Exactly. And that, yeah. that's part of the discovery process too. So you you've know, already answered a couple of the things I had in my next question. It's if you could say anything to the folks who organize, attend, or perform at festivals, what, it would, what would it be? So for those who perform, you'd said have things in different price points. And for those who attend, you're saying come with an open mind, come with a desire to discover, and prepare by checking out some of the bands ahead of time. What would you say for the folks that organize and then – and I'll direct those three questions to you as well. Uh, well, I, I've mentioned it several times, but do not be afraid to be weird, uh, mm. especially, especially if you're running a small festival. You know, we usually are talking about the small Christian indie festivals, but it goes for any type of festival. Yeah. If you have a festival that has maybe less than 2,000 people, be weird. You know, you can do things in yeah. your small venue that can't happen in bigger festivals. So you shouldn't try and compete with them. You should try and offer something different. And weird does not have to be loud and zany. To mention an artist that we recently talked to, Destroy Nate Allen, is like the most crazy off the wall, weird, zany, like over the top bright color band ever. And it's actually <laughs> like super overwhelming. Mm-hmm. but also have people who are really introspective and quiet and bring something that's either different musically or sort of thematically, you know, make, make space mm-hmm. for people that fall outside of what you sort of expect your festival to be. Uh, I, the one thing, the one thing that audio feed is currently lacking that cornerstone had. And I, I just, I love the concept and I, I miss it greatly, and I wait for the day that it comes back, because I'm sure it will. That Cornerstone had a designated chapel tent. And this was a cool thing about Cornerstone and the way it was laid out, is that it was basically a tent city. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That there were people who were camping, and those tents were sort of built around the music stages as well, and everything was just sort of piled all on top of each other. But if you went out into the outskirts, there was a little artist village, which had all of the tents that had, you know, speakers and there was a bookstore mm-hmm. and and all these sorts of things, like a sort of like a little med kit area and a general store and all this stuff. And next to them, there was a, a church, essentially. And it was just a tent that had yeah, the some, chapel tent. Yeah. yeah, that had some sort of faux stained glass windows leaning up <laughs> against the side. And inside it had a bunch of rugs and some chairs and uh, a little tiny altar at the end and different groups would come in. So there were the Orthodox sort of uh, monks who would go in and would do an Orthodox service. And then there were some people who would do like a Pentecostal service or a Catholic service. And in between the times that there were actual church services going on, you could just go in and chill. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to go in and pray, if you wanted to go in and meditate, if you wanted to go in and just rest, there was that space that you could just go mm-hmm. be. And so that's that's the one thing that I think is it it's strange that I think audio feed isn't busy enough right. to need that space yet. <laughs> so but, I hope it gets busier so gotcha. we can bring back the quiet space. Right. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I say just just in general, you know, same, same concept. Don't feel like you have to copycat anybody else. 
you know, be yourself, let your own taste, your own preferences, your own uniqueness, uh, be your guide. There you go. Very cool. Hey guys, I sure do appreciate your time. Thank you guys. And uh, we'll have to schedule another, just like catch up and hanging talk out about time. Stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. That's Absolutely. great. That's but awesome. I sure do appreciate it. Great. Thank you, later. Garrett. You we'll see you. Bye-bye. See ya. And here's my interview with Gabe Jones from Decent Christian Talk Podcast. Well, I wanted to talk to you about festivals. Um, I know yeah. for me, uh, visiting Cornerstone um, years and years ago, I, I actually saw the Crucified's final show as they were mm. calling it done. And then a couple years later, I saw their reunion show. But um, the Cornerstone experience uh, back then was just mind-blowing. And I, I remember before then going to a, a – is it Fishnet that's in, like, Virginia or something? Yeah, Fishnet. Um, and DC Talk was there when they were still spinning round, round, spinning round. And Charlie <laughs> Peacock, I think, had been there, and I had a chance to talk to him. And that that was amazing. Um but you, you've been going to festivals for a while now, haven't you? Yeah, um, uh, I actually was at Fish Fishnet at least once, but mostly has my experience has been at the Creation East Festival. And where is that? That is in Shirley'sburg, uh, Mount Union, Pennsylvania. And so you've been going for a while now. <laughs> Yes, my first time was in 1986. Wow, so that goes way back. (laughs) Yes, and uh, so from uh, pretty much every year from 86 to 2011 or so, and then it's been I've been taking a year or two off here and there since then. But so I want to ask, as a music fan, because I know you are. I mean, you've got a whole podcast the decent christian talk podcast (laughs) and blog about the music you love um as a fan what draws you to come back year after year to the festivals what what's in it for the fan when they go well it's funny because when you've been going to a festival that long you kind of establish relationships and a camaraderie of sorts with a lot of people that you've gotten to meet over the years at the festival, and so it's kind of like a family reunion of sorts um, with a lot of people, and it's kind of you know when you go to the high school reunion, you always talk about stories about oh this is how it was then, and and that's I mean that that happens at Creation Fest with a lot of people that I know. Um, uh, as a music fan today, I mean there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of diversity when it comes to music, but at the same time, it's it's not quite as diverse as it was maybe 20 years ago or so. Um, but but as a music fan, it's an opportunity to see so many artists in such a little time, and I, I think that's probably the biggest attraction. And then, what do you think from the artist's perspective? the the benefit is for the artist to do a festival and and have folks come sure um i i think probably the biggest benefit is a lot of times that will be one of their biggest attended shows of the year um so so um there might there might be a lot of people that wouldn't normally pay to see them but but, but because they're already there they're going to check out this band that they've maybe they've heard a song or two on the radio or or 
whatnot. And it, it really is a chance to expand their fan base. And uh, it's also a unique opportunity. A lot of those festivals, you get to, I don't know, get face to face with a lot of people and, and just kind of establish relationships in that way. So you just mentioned um, kind of taking a chance to see a, a new band you never heard because you're already there. Have you experienced that in your own life, just seeing a lot of new bands and any that stand out? Oh, yeah. Um, there, just to name a few, um, 1998, I think it was 98, I saw a band called Burlap to Cashmere, and they were... Uh, they were something else and I actually got to see them last year um at creation they were actually there and they're going to be on a future episode of my podcast so it was kind of fun to to see that um some other bands that, that come to mind i mean i remember the first time i saw the supertones and they just completely blew my mind um uh, man there's just there's just so many i remember i saw the newsboys uh when they had in pop records and which they yeah. still do but when P- peter ran it a lot uh they brought matt carney out with them to oh, play yeah. a couple songs before their show before anybody knew who he was and i remember that i remember seeing need to breathe at 1 p.m in the afternoon uh wow. same same kind of thing with switchfoot and skillet i mean I, I remember when they played and nobody knew who they were um yeah so i mean and that's that's happened with a lot of bands that i've kind of listened to over the years reliant k um i'm not a big for i'm not a big casting crowns fan but they i mean it was the same type of thing with them same type of thing with for king and country uh just trying to think of artists today um but i mean there's just been so many that i've gotten to see over the years it really is an opportunity to see tons of new artists kind of all all in it's like the um I don't want people to take it the wrong way, but it's like the the buffet of, the of music, and there's of there's tons yeah. of stuff there, yeah. So, yeah. I know for me, it had been Fishnet and Cornerstone. Are there any other festivals out your way that you know of, or uh, there's one called Uprise that's kind of kind of taking the place of Purple Door. Oh um, yeah, and that was that's out near Lancaster. I have to pronounce that right or the natives will get mad at me. (laughs) Um, And there's, I mean, there's a live festival that's uh, in, it's uh, near Canton, Ohio or or that area, which is, uh, it's, it's not too far away from me. And, you know, there's Kingdom Fest and I mean, there's, there's a couple, uh, there's a couple places in New England and Virginia it's hard to keep track of all of them, but, but, uh, yeah. I, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and I posed a question about, um, festivals on Reddit in the Christian Music Separate, and someone just responded about there's Elevate Festival in Phoenix, and here's the lineup or a playlist for it. And I went, wait a minute, I live here, and I didn't know about the <laughs> Elevate yeah. Festival, so now I need to check that out because it sounds like there might be some stuff coming my way, so. I mean, I know they have yeah. the the tours that go through, like whether it's Winter Jam or some of those things, but um, and even those kind of have that same feel of here's a chance to see a lot of artists in a in a short, you know, one day or how long is Winter Jam? It's like one day, two days. That's just thing. a one day thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just a yeah. So 
but it's kind of like a traveling festival of sorts. So, yeah, that's I don't know how they do that night in and night out. That's just crazy. It's got to be exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, but but I mean, I guess the uh, the one thing about it for artists. I guess one of the downfalls you might have is you don't always get the same amount of time that you would at a regular show. And, you know, that that's I guess that's part of kind of the pros and the cons. Uh, and that's the same with the music festival. Um, a lot of times you might be used to playing 45 minutes and you only got 25 minute slot. And, you know, that's just you got to get take, get, take what you take. can get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, because it's also a chance to get potentially like 10,000 people, whereas it might have yeah. just been 200. Yeah, I mean, some of the, I mean, some of the, I mean, not to keep going on, but some of the things that I've gotten to see over the years, uh, I saw Delirious's first show in North America. <gasps> wow. And, and that was a creation. Um, I think one of the third day's first shows, they came out with Rich Mullins in 96, and oh, wow. nobody knew, nobody knew who they were. And he brought his hammered dulcimer out, and Third Day played a couple songs with him, and that's the first time I saw Third Day. So yeah. I mean, that's there's a lot of fun stories like that. Yeah, you know, you uh, you hit up some festivals today, you might be seeing the Rich Mullins of tomorrow, or the Third oh, Day yeah. of tomorrow. So very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for having me. And here's my interview with Dave Trout from UTR Media the Gourmet Music Podcast, and Escape to the Lake. Okay, so Dave, I know you are a passionate fan of well-crafted music. I mean, you you even hosted your own radio show for years. You have your own podcast network about it. The flagship show is the Gourmet Music Podcast. So what prompted you to start Escape to the Lake? I think it was just really a dream, you know, for existed for a few years in the back of my head to kind of take this celebration of music that, you know, for the most part, like you said, it was mostly kind of radio media uh, focused. It's a broadcast. So it's like one to many. And yes, you can get some interaction through Facebook and other places, but I kind of had this desire of, it'd be great to get together somewhere, even just a small sample size of these friends who love this kind of music. It'd be great to just, be in person together. And I didn't, I did not know, to be honest, I did not know what shape that would take. I, I didn't know if that would be like a, an all day folk festival type of a vibe or, um, or like a, a conference or a music festival. In fact, I just kind of kept it in the back burners for a while until something actually started to, to develop. So when did you start it? 2013 was the first year of Escape to the Lake. All the ideas kind of gelled together to make it happen right around New Year's Day of 2013. Oh, wow. Um, so we, we knew uh, we were off to the races, and we kind of linked arms with this conference center in Wisconsin called Conference Point Center, and together we flew a hundred miles an hour because, you know, it was, it was like forging a new partnership as well as trying to kind of put all the details together for this event. 
And then we kind of you know, only had about three months or so to kind of get our act together and then get the tickets on sale. And then it, it happened um, 4th of July weekend in 2013. So that was, that was how it started. Now, I know that Escape to the Lake is on hiatus for 2019, but over the, the past few years, what would you say kind of sets apart from some of the other festivals out there? You know, one of the big things that, that's sort of an obvious thing that sets it apart is a lot of other music festivals are all about the masses and just getting as many people to enjoy a stage as possible and or multiple stages. Um, and that might be in the tens or twenties of thousands of people. And, and really from the get go, our event, we really tried to focus more on the dozens and hundreds, uh, keeping it more intimate, more personal, um, we wanted to break down the wall between artist and fan and allow for there to be sort of an interactive experience. So there's no green rooms. There's no backs, quote unquote, backstage, almost like more of a camp experience where where the artists and the fans would be eating dinner together, you know, in the yeah. same dinner line, getting food. And then and then they would they would go out to the lawn and see a performance by that same artist that they had just chatted with at the salad bar, you know? Yeah. So, um, so and that, that was one of the big distinctive factors as well as I think just really focusing more on inclusivity. You know, we, we, we just kind of had that sense that you could taste and see that the Lord is good. And if people came and tasted that, they would walked away feeling nourished, refreshed, revived. And, um, and I feel like that is true for anybody, no matter what place they find themselves in their walk spiritually or just in life in general. Yeah. Now you had mentioned going to other festivals. What are some of the other festivals you've gone to prior to Escape to the Lake? Or do you, do you still go to, to other festivals since, since starting Escape to the Lake? Yeah. Um, i uh, you know, I've gone to some more like retreats and conferences, mm-hmm. um, like um, the Hutch Moots event in Nashville. Um, I've gone to that a few times, and um, there's a few other uh, types of conferences and gatherings. But um, I haven't, I haven't actually been to like a big Christian festival um, for 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 many years. Uh, and, and part of it is because. Uh, escape to the lake is such a really all focused, consuming it's it's all consuming yeah. and so that really and that's so that's really been the centerpiece of my summers um, and a lot of work has had to be poured in especially during the summer months and uh and so that's really <laughs> prohibited my ability to to visit other festivals <laughs> so um just to, to to go back to your question though i went to several festivals when i was in my teenage years and then my adult years, I, I only, I think the only big festival I went to was Cornerstone. I did that a couple, couple years in a row. I think it was the last two years of the festival, oh, wow. actually. And those were my first two years. So, what is has has there been anything that surprised you about running Escape to the Lake? Yeah, um, a, lot of the, a lot of things surprised me. Um, it's it's hard to define what success looks like sometimes. I think that's, oh, yeah. that's a big piece of it. Um, one of the big surprises to me has been, I, I kind of went into escape to the lake 
looking at it as an event planner and really tried to put on the the best event that I could. And the first couple of years of the event really kind of poured myself into everything behind the scenes and didn't really get a chance to have great connections with the people that showed up. Oh, um, yeah. And I had sort of a shift probably the third year where um, I really started to to dive more into the community that was developing and, you know, because you'd see some people that would show up multiple years in a row. So people started to become familiar faces, but I didn't even necessarily know them all that well at that point yet. So I, I really tried to take more time to, to be a part of the community and that, that grew every year since then. And I, now I feel like the people that I've met at Escape to the Lake are dear friends. Oh yeah. So for the music fan who's considering going to their first festival anywhere, what would you say is in it for them as a fan to go to a festival? I would say um, music discovery is sort of a big thing because, you know, any festival that you go to, there's probably going to be a few names um, that you've heard of, um, maybe even are fans of. but. If you kind of go with an open ear and open mind, you may walk away a much bigger fan of an artist you had never heard of before. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that you could discover just great music. And the cool thing is, you know, those events bring together people who are also people that realize that music has a special place in their lives. It's the soundtrack of their teen lives, their adult lives, um, their marriages, and and also their spiritual walks. Um, music just helps us in uh, even process our relationship with God. And so you're surrounded by these people. And so yeah. if you open yourself up to engage in conversation and just, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert naturally, so I tend to shy away from putting myself out there like that, but I've always been rewarded when I do that. And, and other people are excited to engage with something that they love, which is, hey, we're all here to enjoy music and to celebrate how it moves us and how it stirs us and how it draws us, many times draws us closer to God. Oh, yeah. For the artist, what would you say is the benefit of fans seeing them particularly at a festival? Is there any, any yeah. unique draw or benefit to the artist for us saying, hey, let's go to the festival? Yeah, I, I think that a festival done well will, will allow artists to engage with other artists. And, and it's something that um, I don't – I can't really speak on behalf of other festivals, but I'll tell you that when I would contact artists to – to book them for Escape to the Lake, to say, hey, I'd love for you to come. Um, almost, almost every single time I contact them, especially if it's the first time, I would say, I need you to understand something. This is not just a gig. This is not just something on your calendar for you to show up to, play your songs, and leave. We, we are trying to develop a community atmosphere here. So in fact, I won't even consider you coming if you're not willing to, to be a part of, you know, be a part of like one of our daytime sessions and 
be at the meals so that people can say hi. And yeah, maybe you can't be there all the days, but we do have an expectation that you're going to be a part of the community. And the artists have been refreshed by that expectation because they've been able to sit um, and listen to other artists when, when most artists don't get a chance to do that. They're not yeah. going out to concerts and really intaking, but, but here they are in this community. And so I have seen incredible amounts of friendships and partnerships develop through the artists um, that come to Escape to the Lake. And I'm sure that happens at other festivals as well. And I can't even count the number of artists that have taken steps forward in their career or have written new songs because they met an artist and then, you know, co-wrote a song together, you know, the, the months after Escape to the Lake. The, the number of ripple effects of, of those friendships and relationships is just too many to count. It's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. I know uh, I'd heard Jimmy Abed say some really kind things about, I mean, he basically um, not performed publicly for a number of years until he was yeah. at Escapes the Lake. And he had some really kind things about uh, the, the experience and what that was like um, to kind of be embraced again as an, an artist. So um, yeah, if you could say, oh yeah. 23 years, I think it was like 23 years or something it, since it had he been a long had performed time. a solo set. Yeah. And, uh, I remember him. He 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 called me up on the phone a few times before the event. Uh, he pulled me aside at one point and said, uh, "I feel safe as milk." <laughs> there you go. Uh, that you know, just based on the just the loving atmosphere that was um, surrounding him. So that was a yeah, that was a beautiful experience. If you could say anything to other folks who organize music festivals, what would it be? You know, I would say that the the more that they can create um, an atmosphere that is, how shall I say this, uh, agenda free, yeah, yeah, <laughs> as um, as well as pro artist, yeah, those those are the two things that I think will really engage audiences really really make the event a safer place because i think too many festivals get overrun by agendas or they get sold out basically to to people who have agendas gotcha. and and it really turns the event into more of a combative and unsafe experience overall just emotionally and spiritually. Um, and I think that, I think that uh, promoters, some do a very good job at this, but you know, my encouragement is just the more that we embrace and celebrate artists, their artistry, the importance of the arts, the, the important place that artists have in the kingdom. I think that that benefits everybody if we look at the artist as just a means to an end, that doesn't really create anything sustainable in my view. I, I really like the the focus of saying, you know, you you got to take care of the artist. I mean, and, and the truth is, without the artist, you don't have an event. I yeah. mean, 
you know, granted, if you abuse your artist and chew them up, somebody else will pop in line behind them. But like that is not a way to treat one another as family in Christ or just as a, a relationship with an artist you say you love, <laughs> you know. And just and just practically speaking, you know, this is a this is a tough first step to make that happen. But uh, I've done this every year at Escape to the Lake, and really encourage folks putting on any kind of event to do something like this. Connect with the artists afterwards, immediately afterwards. And ask them point blank, was this event good for you? Did you feel cared for? Was it a worthwhile experience for you? And be ready to receive both positive and negative feedback. And I have gotten both throughout the years and have been able to sort of adjust. Um, yeah, you know what? We really should do a better job with that piece of it for next year. Thank you for sharing you know, we, we're, we're trying to make this better and you sharing with honesty is making it better. So, um, but it takes a, some guts for a promoter to, to follow up directly with the artists. Most promoters don't do that. And I think that's, that's really how you can gauge whether the artist feels, uh, well cared for. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's really a good insight. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate your perspective. It's good to, to actually hear from someone who's uh, been running a festival and not just folks that attend them or perform. So I, I think this has been quite the treat. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Garrett. And here's my interview with Aaron Delo, founder of Joshua Fest. Aaron, tell me about Joshua Fest. Where is it held? How long has it been going? And does it have a specific focus? Yeah, um, Joshua Fest has been going since 2003, and it's held in Quincy, California, which is uh, far, for, far, far northern California, kind of between Chico and Reno. Um, actually, pretty close, about 45 minutes from where the uh, Paradise Fire was. Oh, wow. Uh, um, so pretty close to that. So, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful area in the heart of the Sierra Mountains. Uh, like I said, almost dead center between Chico, California, and Reno, Nevada. Do you have a specific focus, like a, a specific genre or style of music? Or, um, it, I guess if you were to pinpoint a, a genre or style, it, it would definitely be more of the alternative, um, and, and not to say alternative rock specifically, but alternative to. I guess what's popular in Christian music. Gotcha. You know, when we, when we started the festival, there was another festival uh, called spirit West coast, a three day festival. It's still going on, but it's just a single day event now. And, you know, they were pretty popular. They're in the Bay area, but they were your more traditional CCM. You know, you could go there and see, uh, see your third days and your mercy knees and, and groups like that. And, we wanted to create an alternative to that that allowed kids to be able to see um, the rock and the hip hop, and the hardcore, you know, uh, spectrums of Christian music that kind of get tucked away in the corner of, uh, of the Christian industry. And so, you know, when we started the festival, the idea was uh, it was going to be a family friendly, budget friendly festival that had, um, you know, we, we wouldn't have the big headliners like some of the traditional festivals would have. We would have more of the rock bands headline like Thousand Foot Crutch or Cutlass or, you know, groups like that. Um, 
so so that that was kind of the idea behind the festival was was to kind of fill that niche that void that was there because um there wasn't much at least in california that was filling that need for uh for getting kids introduced to that type of music so had you attended other festivals before starting joshua fest yeah absolutely in fact uh not so much nowadays uh, in fact, there's really not much on the West Coast, unfortunately, uh, that that's Christian, that that is a multi-day camping type festival. From, from what I understand, we're really the only ones that are a multi-day camping festival on the West Coast right now. Um, there used to be, like I said, Spirit West Coast. There was another one up uh, up in Washington where I live now called uh, Creation Festival. They might come back, but I'm not sure. Um, but when I was younger, I was really influenced by uh, a couple festivals. I started when I was really young, started going to Jesus Northwest in Washington. And uh, also in Washington, there was a, and this is really where Joshua Fest kind of came about from, a festival called Tom Festival. Yeah. And that, and that was definitely a, uh, a similar focused festival as Joshua Fest is ran by Mikey Bridges. Beautiful festival. I miss it dearly. So for the fan who attends a festival, what's in it for them? What's the appeal to a fan to attend a festival? You're going to get introduced to, uh, to artists and bands that you would normally not get introduced to at, uh, most of your shows that you go to. Um, at least Christian artists, uh, so to speak, you know, um, a, a good, uh, good example of that is this year, um, you know, trying to find a niche of artists that are again, tucked away from the Christian world. They're, they're really not very popular. You know, last year we had a huge focus on, on hardcore, which is a little tricky because there's a lot of Christian hardcore that you can just go to a regular club in, you know, downtown, whatever feel and, and see a Christian hardcore uh, tour. So um, this year we're, we're focused a little bit more on, you know, we'll always have rock, you know, alternative and rock and, and hardcore. But this year we're really we're bringing in more of a focus on EDM, like electronic music, dance music. Oh, yeah. Um, also hip hop. You know, last year we had Lecrae and, and a lot of kids really were excited about that. And, you know, you're starting to see artists like Lecrae and Social Club Misfits, you know, gaining ground in the Christian industry. But that's it's still fairly new. And so, you know, we're, we're embracing a lot of uh, a lot of the hip hop. And we've always had hip hop, um, but now we're, we're advertising it more. But, you know, as, as a festival go where you're going to be introduced to a lot of new music that you wouldn't normally be exposed to. And what would you say is in it for the artists when folks attend festivals? Um, almost the same exact answer. You're going to, um, you're going to be introduced to a fan base that didn't really necessarily have the means to, you know, come in contact with you or, or, you know, become a fan of yours. So it's almost a two-way, it really is a two-way street. You know, we're kind of bringing the fan base together that's looking for that music, and we're bringing that music to the fan base um, that's looking for that fan base. So it's it definitely is a two-way street for, for artists and fans. And if you could say anything to the folks who organize, attend, or perform at festivals, what would it be? Oh, boy. Uh, be patient. 
um, yeah. be, be very vertically focused in prayer because it's not going to, it's not going to be easy, especially in the Christian market. Um, it's kind of funny because it seemed like in the seventies and eighties, which I, you know, I grew up in the nineties. Um, and even in the nineties, Christians, specifically Christians would go to these festivals in droves and camp out and, and it was really a, an epic event all across the country. Um, and these days, you're not really seeing that happen anymore. It seems like Christians aren't camping anymore or something. I don't know. They they want to go to their their one day arena and you know arena show in in a town and then go home and call it good. Um, so so if you're if you're organizing these events, um, it's definitely going to be something. It, it's a, it's an uphill battle for sure. Um, I'm, I'm praying that like in all things in music and in fashion and stuff, it's a cycle to where it comes back. Yep. I, I think it is, I think it will be just gotta be patient and hold on. So, but, um, for us, it's, it's, it's about the, the ministry of bringing the, the two together, the, the artists and the fans, you know, we really want to see artists succeed that deserves to succeed because they're really not giving the given the platform that, that they deserve um, in our industry. It's really hard as a Christian artist to have a voice out there, especially if you're not doing the normal Nashville thing. Oh yeah. You know, if you're outside that Nashville world, it's, it's, and even if you are in the Nashville world, it's tough to get a voice and thank God we have new platforms like Spotify and stuff to, to get there. And, and hopefully we can see things like that become a tool to, uh, to connect these festivals with these fans and with these artists and, you know, continue this, this Christian subgenre because it is, it is special. It's just, it's just lacking in support. So when, when is the festival held and when do you put up the list of who's playing this year or have you already done that? We're starting to do it. Um, In fact, we just started to do it the past week and a half or so. Um, Really just the past week. But the festival's held in July, July 26th, 27th, and 28th. And, you know, in fact, we were actually not going to do the festival this year. We were going to, we were planning on taking the year off and we changed our minds. We had a last minute change of heart. And um, so we're putting together the festival, but, you know, we're doing it kind of back to the roots of what we did. For a while, we were trying to, to, fit the the mold of having the big headliners like the for king and countries and the switchfoots and you know that it really became very expensive and there wasn't a return on the investment so we're we're going back to our original um our original roots you know it kind of felt like over the years the past couple of years when we were trying to to do that we kind of lost our plot we lost our mission and so we're going back to our mission i don't know if you listened to the labeled podcast about the history of tooth and nail but they had two back-to-back episodes about Cornerstone and spoke oh, yeah. to some of the folks that had been involved in starting it and deciding when to stop it. And one of the things they talked about was that they started you know, getting bigger and bigger bands for the main stage, and that just became a huge cost that they could no longer sustain. So I, I, def- I mean, I know. So I saw a crowdfunding campaign for a festival called uh, Sacrovox, I think is what it is. It seems to be like yeah. a, a metal, Christian metal like a, yeah, festival. Yeah, Southern California, right? And they were trying to do a, a crowdfunding fundraiser just for a portion of their cost because they knew it would be, uh, you know, a, a net loss for the year, but if they could cover some of the costs. And I know 
Escape to the Lake, which is more of a uh, singer-songwriter sort of retreat festival um, up in, uh, I think, Indiana or Illinois. Um, you know, that those guys are taking a break this year um, as well. It just does seem to be a, a bit of a hard time for that. It, it is, especially if you're, you know, you're kind of mentioning a lot of festivals that are in that subgenre of music that gets ignored in the Christian industry. You know, um, it, it seemed like in the early 2000s, there was an embrace of Christian rock. You know, Air One came out. And, well, on um, the effect, I don't had, know if you remember the right the Chris, yeah. work in, yeah. out of Idaho with Calvary Chapel. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, they, those those come in. I, I don't know if the effect's still around or not, but I know Air One, when they originally came out, they were playing, you know, Thousand Foot Crutch and um, MXPX and Plank Eye. And, you know, they were playing some great rock music and they were a great alternative to their sister station or their parent station, Caleb. And now they're just another Caleb, not, not to knock them. I mean, that that's their mission. If they feel like that's where the Lord's leading them to go, then all by all means do it. But again, it's just kind of one of those stories of, of rock alternative EDM hip hop getting kind of left in the dust when it comes to the Christian market. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we definitely kind of felt the same vein as the, uh, as the cornerstone kids, um, bringing out those big artists. We tried it for a few years and it just wasn't worth it. It, it was, it was, uh, it, it not only cost us more in the artist budget, but it cost, cost us more in the production budget too. Everything just kept getting inflated. And so, um, you know, we're fortunate enough to be in a place, uh, personally, um, the two of us that run it that where we, we can, you know, take a financial loss or we're, we're really blessed in that, in that scenario. But, we don't want to keep banging our head against the wall. We definitely right. want to see, we want to see some sort of, uh, you know, we want to be good stewards of our money. Yeah. And if we're just, if we're just throwing money away, then it, it, that's, that's not being a good steward at all. So we definitely want to see some sort of growth. It doesn't have to be a financial growth per se, but it definitely needs to be a physical and spiritual growth of the festival. And so we're hoping by taking a couple steps back and, and going back to our original roots, that, you know, maybe the fact that we lost the plot a little bit is one of the reasons why we find ourselves in this place. And another thing, too, I, you know, it's funny you brought up the labeled podcast because that, it, you know, it gripped my heart when I listened to it because the end of that podcast, they talked about how, um, you know, they kind of put the bands that they brought to a light, you know, that hardcore scene. They, they kind of made that hardcore scene mainstream to where the kids could just go to any club to see it. Uh, and so they were no longer filling a niche. You know, yep. when they first came out, when they first started, they were filling a niche. There was a need for it. There, you couldn't find that music anywhere else. And so kids were coming out to go to that music because that, that was the only place to go to. And they're right. You know, we we uh, were filling a niche for a while. And, you know, then we stopped. We started bringing in those big mainstream artists that you could find it everywhere else. You could go to any mega church and find those church, those artists. So I'm hoping that by taking a step back and and seeing a need, filling the need, you know, there's in, in the secular world, EDM and, and hip hop are are two huge genres that in the Christian market, there's a lot of artists out there trying to make a name for themselves, trying to put amazing music out there, and they're just being ignored, um, yep. you know, especially in the EDM market. So, you know, we're gonna we're gonna fill that need. It, it doesn't look good on paper, but we're, we're going to put it out there, see what happens, and hopefully we're blessed for it. 
Well, I'm excited. I uh, I only learned about Joshua Fest this year, so um, I'm excited to, to find out more about it as well. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man. Thank you. And thanks for sticking all the way to the end. You are absolutely phenomenal. Dare I say, you are a rock star. Thank you.